welcome to episode 125 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Marzia Zafar, Deputy Director of Strategy and Decarbonization at Ofgem, Great Britain's independent energy regulator. Marzia helps lead Ofgem's strategy group, ensuring design of multi-year strategy and roadmaps that protect energy consumers, especially vulnerable people, by ensuring they are treated fairly and benefit from a cleaner, greener environment. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. Marzia is a global leader in energy transition and disruptive technologies, with more than 25 years in the electric and natural gas industry. She's a decarbonization evangelist and relentless team builder focused on driving impact at scale for stakeholders spanning government, Fortune 500 companies, startups, and nonprofits. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm with Marzia Zafar, Deputy Director of Strategy and Decarbonization at Ofgem, Great Britain's independent energy regulator, Marzia, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lee. I am overdue for a thank you to you. And here's the reason why. You were really the beginning of my more than technology journey. (laughs) And I would like to thank you because when I met you, you were the first technologist that I really spoke with one-on-one. And I had no idea what you were talking about. And I was going, I need to go back and, and take a class on this. And... 15 years later, I joined a technology firm, and now I know what technology means. I was trying to get broadband over power line approved by the commission. Yes. If it weren't for you, I don't think we would have gotten anywhere. So just huge thank you. And then that led to understanding the power of the energy grid and what it could do for society. And then eventually that led to climate change mitigation. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think, I think California, you know, I used to work there with you. I was there for about 20 years. California leads in innovation, whether it's regulated or open market, the mentality of Californians is always to innovate. And and I think Californians have this thirst to do something about the climate. So it's the right atmosphere for the utilities and the energy players there to solve this problem, I think. Yeah. With regards to climate change, what was your motivating moment? So... I'm not really an environmentalist. I'm more of a pragmatic person. But what made me believe in decarbonization uh, was probably Mike Peavy. He was the president of the California PUC. And I read the energy action plan after the energy crisis of 2000, 2001. California came up with this energy action plan and had a loading order of how to meet demand And the first one was energy efficiency. Second one was demand response, and then renewable energy, and then fossil fuel. And it just made sense to me. I go, well, why not? This makes total sense. Why do we all not just continue to push for this? So I became a believer. 
that's a great story. And he doesn't have the greatest reputation in retrospect. It's exciting that he did leave behind a legacy with you. I would say that that is a mistake. I think Mike Peavy probably did more for climate change than anyone that I know of in California. He was a bull in a china shop and he didn't care. He believed in energy efficiency. He believed in decarbonization and net zero and he just did it. And it pissed people off, but he did it. He took action and he made a lot of changes. A lot of people that push hard to make change end up getting their necks chopped off. I know a lot of people like that may be looking in the mirror at me too each morning. <laughs> yeah. So that was 20 years ago. What is your current personal driver for wanting to mitigate climate change? We're just wasteful. So I just, I want to do my part in becoming more efficient. And not just efficient, but using less, whether that's buying less, less clothes for myself. I don't need to have 20 pairs of jeans. I can just go with two pairs of jeans. And then I don't have to throw it away. I can, we have a sharing economy now. It's so easy to go in and rather than throw it away, give it to somebody else. I think we are at a time right now, and I hope it gets easier and the customer journey becomes even more seamless to be able to contribute in your own way, in a convenient way to become more of a conservationist in every form. I think as long as we make it easy for people, we should be able to get there. I think we started, when you and I started back in 2000 or the, or the mid 90s, it was difficult. It was difficult to, at least on the in the energy space, we didn't really have too much renewable energy. It was expensive. People didn't know about it. The design of the market wasn't there. So it wasn't convenient, but things are becoming more and more convenient. I believe that we will only get to net zero if technology makes things easy for us, makes it easy for consumers to shift their load, makes it easy for consumers to not use energy or makes it easy for consumers to recycle. It has to be easier or else we just won't do it. I often have that debate with people, whether this is the job of governments and companies or whether it's the job of people. And I like to say it's all arrows in the quiver. We all have to do our part but certainly people are not going to do it if it's not easy. They just aren't going to change. Change is just too hard. People gain a lot of weight and don't exercise. All these things they know are bad because easy trumps bad. I agree. And, I, and when I say that I'm generalizing people, right? I think there's different archetypes of who we are. So we have the early adopters or we have the activists. We need those activists to always be putting this on the radar to force government to put out a vision, then to let the market come up with those solutions. But it starts with those early adopters. It starts with those activists. So the more we, we make sure that those activists have room to come in and bring their cause, then government steps in, then the market steps in, and then the majority of the people will come in and follow suit. But it has to be easy and cheap. <laughs> Agreed. When you meet people that don't believe the climate is changing or don't understand the data, how do you convince them? Well, I think these days it's pretty easy to just look out the window and see what's happening. Whether you're in California or here in the UK, in Europe, extreme weather is in our face. Extreme weather is, we can't hide from it. I mean, you look at the UK 
We had an incredibly warm summer. Then all of a sudden it snows out of nowhere. It snowed in May uh, last year. That was really odd. But then a week before that, it was actually pretty warm. So these extreme weather events, I think, make it obvious that something is happening here or we've done something that we need to undo. If it weren't for these extreme events, then I think it would be a, a bit difficult to, to convince people. I know it would be. And that is hard for me to accept because you can do experiments that show without any doubt that greenhouse gases do trap heat. It just does. And there's no doubt that we are burning lots of fossil fuels and making more and more greenhouse gases that we can measure. So it's one plus one equals two, at least to me, you didn't need these extreme weather events to finally decide to take action, but it looks like that's what's gonna do it, right? Horrible weather events is what's gonna make us get in gear. It will, and I think it's just the fact that you are an early adopter, you're an activist. I'm one of those that come at the end. When activism has started, early adopters have adopted, and then policy and market decide that this is easy and we bring the solutions forward. I'm in the billions who says, okay, I'll climb, I'll jump on the bandwagon now. Another thing that concerns me is the sheer amount of people on this earth. So, you know, maybe in the 1950s or earlier than that, we didn't have to worry about greenhouse gas emissions as much as we do now because we all have multiple devices in our homes. There's, is it 9 billion people on this earth? And it's just growing. So we are consuming a lot more. We are just sucking the earth dry. And the, these extreme weathers show that we're, we're really damaging this planet. Yeah, a lot of people will say that the planet will be fine. And I actually agree in the end, the planet will be fine, but I'm not a planet and my kids aren't planets. Yeah. So I don't care that the planet ultimately will be fine in a billion years. I want it to be fine now. That's why I think climate change, the awareness is there because we see it in the weather. And I think maybe some people are not as engaged because they're going, well, I only have another 50 years to live. So nothing's going to happen in the next 50 years, whatever. But now take the next generation, the generation after that, that 50 years becomes 40 years, becomes 30 years, becomes 20 years. And then the change will have to happen. But to me, I think we're at a point right now where we do need technology to get better. We need technology to get better on all fronts in order to really make a dent in climate change. And I think today's generation of young people, they're growing up not even knowing what more normal climate is like. It is oppressively hot. And then it's crazy cold. They see everything melting. They see the mountaintops without snow. So for them, it's all they know, and they know it ain't good. They do. And I think we need those people. We need that segment of the population to be loud and to be constantly in our faces in order to make this happen. Because the second that they're not, we could easily just go back to fossil fuels. It's pretty convenient. It is. You said you're at the end, and that is so untrue. You've been part of this fight for a long time, before me, probably. Yeah, no, I, I have been, and, and I enjoy it. I enjoy finding the solution, the policy solution. And when I was in technology, finding the technology solution. But I don't consider myself 
an activist at first sight. I consider myself part of the mainstream. So if I'm as a mainstream, I am pushing for this. It tells you it's not a. It's it's actually a, a good thing. If you were the mainstream, climate change would be solved. Okay, I'm just going to put it out there. You're not mainstream. <laughs> So, what do you do, and what does Ofgem do to help mitigate climate change? So, Ofgem is the economic regulator here in the in the UK, similar to the California PUC, if you will. And as part of that, you know, we have a great amount of influence in designing the market for the energy sector, so that it is not based on the old power plant, transmission line, distribution line in the home. We need to design the system such that we enable consumers, that we allow small-scale flexibility or demand response to actually be part of the system. So, when somebody in in the UK has an electric vehicle, we are designing the market so that even that one kilowatt hour of savings is added up and taken in as part of a bigger story. To make it a giant power plant, we want households to become virtual power plants, and to do that, we have to change the regulatory system. The market design has been the same forever. It's about big players, big power plants, and we need to change that to make it about small scale load, about households wanting to participate in this grid. So, if a consumer wants to sell their Power back to the grid. It should be easy, and they should get money for it. And that's what Ofgem is trying to do. I'm on the advisory board of a company called Signwatts, and that's their slogan: "Power plants on wheels." <laughs> that's what they're trying to create. Yeah. For any country that has a goal for net zero, unless you engage consumers at that level and have them participate and use their smart devices. In a way to be able to shift load when there's a peak, or shift load when there's a constraint in the system. Unless you get those individual consumers on board, net zero is not going to happen because we don't have long duration energy storage that's cost effective and scalable. The more we rely on renewable generation, the more dynamic supply becomes, and we want supply to be static. We don't need supply to be dynamic. The only way to make renewable generation less intermittent is to combine it with storage. And storage right now is two to four hours. We need it to be seasonal storage. We need it to be long term. I'm taking hydropower out of the equation because that depends on geography. Not everybody has it. So that's what I mean by technology has to get better. We need the long term storage to be cost effective and scalable. We need hydrogen. To be able to replace natural gas at some point, in order for net zero to happen. I'm totally with you. I also think that if we had long-term storage and if we had hydrogen in the market successfully, maybe people wouldn't have to use their vehicles as power plants because there'd be other solutions. But I can't predict the future, and that's why I again say, all arrows in the quiver. We need to pursue all these lines of potential solutions. That's very, very true. I mean, over the weekend, I was thinking about the idea of these platforms that are out there that are enabling small-scale demand response. You know, connecting your EV to the system, and I was 
trying to understand how feasible that is. And then I thought of the Blu-ray disc. So remember Blu-ray? I still have a Blu-ray player. <laughs> it's a temporary fix. So I think these platforms are also a temporary fix until we get the long duration storage. And CCUS, if we get CCUS, then we could even use fossil fuel. But technology is holding out on us. It needs to get better, faster. I have to hope and believe that it will. Because otherwise, we're in deep trouble. We are. Your, your kids will be, not you and I. Your kids will be in deep trouble. I don't know. It's pretty hot out there. I'm up here in Portland where it should be fine. And it's really, really hot. It still is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It is, it is impacting us. But when are we going to have an unlivable planet? I think that's sooner than later. When you say sooner than later... Talk to me. What do you think the future holds in store for us over the next 10, 20, 30 years? I'm hopeful for the next 10, 20 years. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful about hydrogen. I'm hopeful about long duration storage. I think what governments need to do is incentivize these a bit more aggressively. I don't know when the planet will become unlivable, but I, I like to think that we are working towards making that zero a reality. It's just we need to be constantly on a daily basis having to have this conversation that if we don't stay the course, we're going to be in trouble. But I think if we stay the course, I'm a hopeful person. I think we can all get to net zero. So if you're forecasting, are we going to make it? No problem? I think we will make it if we have people like you <laughs> and others constantly talking about climate change if we have the COP events, if we have the activism, as long as those things are front and center and there's news about it in every single front page, yes, I think I'm hopeful that in, we're going to be fine. But if that activism goes away, I would say everything else goes away with it. Well, I guess I'm not going to take that vacation I was planning. <laughs> <laughs> So can you talk about your prior background? How did you get where you are? I am originally from Kabul, Afghanistan, so I'll, I'll be quick about it. I got to California because we needed to leave Afghanistan. It was it was getting pretty pretty violent in the in the mid 80s. I chose energy after I went to college and learned how to speak English. I chose Southern California Gas Company because it was between Southern California Gas Company and Ernst and Young. And Southern California Gas Company paid me more. So I said, well, of course I'm going to go there. And in the beauty of the gas company, now Semper Energy, is that it's a giant company and you can, it's also, it seemed like a, like a family to me. And I was allowed to maneuver. I was allowed to go to different parts of the company and learn about it. And then the energy crisis of 2000, 2001 happened. At the time, I was in marketing with Southern California Gas Company, and I had about 130 accounts. These were commercial accounts, big customers. Half of them lost their companies because of the energy crisis. And I was the one who was telling them not to sign into contracts, what to do and what not to do. So that impacted me a bit. And after that, I decided to go to the California PUC and see if I could help bring that, that experience from my customers to the new market design. And I stayed with the PUC for about 10 years. 
I was fortunate enough to work with an incredible person, Mike Peavy, and he's the one who brought to light diversity and decarbonization to me. And then after about mm, 10 years there, my girlfriend and I decided to just come to Europe because we wanted to live abroad. And I came here, I worked for the World Energy Council a couple of years, and then I wanted to learn technology. I wanted to know why we were being slowed down by these little widgets. I wanted to understand it. So I went to Calusa Technologies to learn how the billing platforms worked, how they were being built, how the demand response platform that's being built and talked about, how did it work? I stayed there for two years. I learned how widgets work. I realized that I love policy and I love the public sector. So I joined Ofgem, the economic regulator for the UK. And it's interesting looking back at it that I was part of the market redesign post the California energy crisis. And now I'm fortunate enough to be part of the market redesign post the UK retail energy crisis. So it's been an incredible journey for me. And, and I like the part that every day I'm learning something new. And I like the fact that I have now learned a bit about every part of the energy sector and the decarbonization sector, uh, being in the public sector and the nonprofit sector and the technology sector and the utility sector. So I kind of have the whole picture now and I'm trying to understand what else can I do to utilize that experience better. Can you comment on the government in the UK and how it relates to climate change, given what's going on now? I think that the UK government is, is pretty steadfast for it. I think we, we have a target, a net zero target by 2050. We're headed in that direction. The UK market is pretty progressive uh, in pushing for innovation on, on the retail side. We have a competitive market here. So the market definitely is in a, in a really good position to innovate and come up with new ways to enable consumers to, to join and become active participants rather than passive bill payers. Can you talk about setbacks that you had on your journey? I don't know if I have had setbacks. I would say that I wish we had green hydrogen by now. I wish we had long-term storage by now. I think that the economies that are pushing for net zero need to further create the incentives for these technologies to, to become fruitful. What successes are you most proud of? I think back in 2012, when San Francisco streets were being filled with Uber and Lyft cars, I believe that I can take a pretty big part in saying that I helped legitimize that industry. We went into it because Mike Peavy wanted, thought that this is a way to reduce congestion in, on our streets, to have people use less cars, which is good for the climate. So we actually legitimized the industry for the rest of the world. I think that to me is probably my biggest achievement ever. As far as energy is concerned, when I was with Calusa Technologies, right before I left, I helped develop and lead our sustainability program. I was really proud that I got Calusa to commit to being carbon negative by 2030. And we submitted to the SBTI for verification. You said that you were hopeful about the future. Do you think the pandemic hurt or helped with regard to the future of climate change? I would say it helped. I would say that it helped because I think we travel less now. I think it's okay for us to work from home now. That dynamic 
should have a reduction in carbon because we're not going into work five days a week. And I think it definitely stopped travel for a couple of years. So for a couple of years, it certainly helped the climate when you would go out during those lockdown periods. You could smell it. You could smell the fresh air. So I think for a couple of years, maybe the earth gave us a reminder of what it could be if we tackle this problem. I know that I used to do every Climate Champion episode in person all over the world. And now I do them all on Zoom. I think they're higher quality. I don't have to travel and create greenhouse gases. Also gives me a lot more time to hang out with my wife. So yeah, that was a change without a doubt. It would have never happened. It would have never happened had it not been for the pandemic. You would never imagine any country or any company would say, oh yeah, go work from home five days a week. And now we're talking about four day work weeks. So as painful as the pandemic was, I think it reinvented how we work and how we think. And I think that certainly has a positive impact on climate. What advice do you have for people about how they can help mitigate climate change? I think if you are an activist, continue. Continue your journey, continue to be aggressive, continue to be in people's faces. If you are working for a startup, whether that's creating the technology to make it easier for consumers to participate, or you're in the long-term storage or hydrogen, you're doing God's work. Continue doing that. And if you are one of those people who haven't changed your behavior at all in any way, shape, or form, why not? Why not make a little change? There's many convenient, easy, cheap things you can do. Buy less. Buy less is, is pretty, uh, pretty easy. Here in the UK, we have this app called Olio. It's amazing because it's a sharing community. Anything that I have that I don't want, I put it on Olio. My neighbor will tap and say, I want this. Whether that's my leftovers or my extra pair of jeans, we don't throw anything away anymore. That certainly helps with climate. So you can just download an app like that. I'm sure that app exists in the U.S. too. I think if everybody does a tiny little thing, it goes a long way. That's awesome. Do you have any questions for me? Yes. I want to know what motivated you to become an activist. I consider you an activist. You are an activist, right? I don't think of myself as an activist, but maybe I am. I believe we have one lifetime and either we're going to pursue money and power or we're going to pursue helping other people. And for a long time, I was after money. And once I realized that wasn't very important to me anymore, then it became about helping people. So I don't know that I consider myself an activist, but I have my brain and I have hours that I can use so why not help people, <laughs> I guess? Yeah. Feels, feels pretty good. I bet, I bet it does. I bet it does. Well, I wish you lots of luck and continue these podcasts because I think however many people we reach, it's still a positive impact. Is there anything else you want to say? I miss California, although I'll be here for, for the foreseeable future, but California is a great place. And, and I hope that if hydrogen and long-term storage were, were to be solved, I hope it's somewhere in California. Awesome. And with that, I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. 
Well, California is ahead in technology and computation. They also often take the lead in regulation. It was because of PV, you got into decarbonization, but UK is also into innovation. I want to tell you that I'm proud to be your friend. When it comes to activism, you're not at the end. It was between Southern California Gas Company and Ernst & Young. One of them was the plan, but because the pay was higher, you went to the gas company. When you had to leave Afghanistan, he was a bull in a china shop. He was bobbing and weavy. You learned about diversity and climate mitigation from Michael Peavy. You feel that one way you gave the world a gift is that you helped legitimize Uber and Lyft. You are saying God's work is being done by technologists and therefore you enlist as many as you can of activists. You're good, Lee. How do you do this? People should at least make an attempt to rearrange and find some tiny way to make a little change. Marzia, many years ago, you left. You went very far. Thank you so much for being a climate champion. Marzia Zafar. <laughs> Thank you so much. That, you are pretty big thank you again to Marzia for helping me move from my IT leadership role at San Diego Gas and Electric into a strategic position. While broadband over power line itself never made it beyond the pilot stage, it was a foundational step in helping the company to explore utility modernizing technology, including batteries, EV infrastructure and rates, and wildfire mitigation. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, Visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe. Rate it five stars if you're an Apple user and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Marzia's advice to us and to me was pretty straightforward. If you are already working on climate issues as an activist or in technology or in some other way, please keep up the good work. And if you're not, please do something. Even if it's something little, it adds up. And we need you to help mitigate climate change. Mm -hmm.